riding on empty. Father in heaven, we thank you for today. We thank you for bringing us safely through another week. Lord, we don't have everything that we want, but Lord, we're glad that we have everything that we need. And Lord, you brought us here safely, and most of us are here clothed in our right mind. Lord, we ask that you open our hearts to hear your word for us today. In your son's name we do pray. Amen. I don't know about you, but I am inspired by many things. I'm inspired by music. I'm inspired by nature. I'm inspired by movies and television. But this morning, my area of inspiration is my gas tank. Coming here yesterday, I filled up. I filled up. Um, gas is almost a dollar more than it was just at the beginning of the year. But I always drive with at least three-fourths of the tank full. I do a lot of driving both in Stanislaw County and San Joaquin County, um, day, night, early morning, Sunday through Thursday. I drive at least 200 miles per week visiting patients and their families. But back when I was in Michigan, I couldn't afford gas. And I got, an ex I got in my mind that I wanted to conduct an experiment, not because I wanted to do the experiment, but we'll say due to, we'll say economic restraints. While there in graduate school at Andrews University, gas prices were higher than they were now, and sometimes I would go to the gas station at night, and I would have to use two debit cards because one account had X amount of dollars, and it wasn't enough to fill my gas tank up, so I had to use the second debit card that maybe had $5.72. And I don't know about you, but when I, when I was in that state, I would go to the gas station, I'd put in my debit card, and I would act as if the gas pump was broke because I would, I would put in $5.72 because I had $5.73 in my account, and I would go up to the, go up to the gas pump, Put, put the gas pump back on the nozzle, wait for it to reset, and put in my second debit card, I learn how to ride on empty. Some, some of you, you don't know what that's like, um, but some of you are like me. You come to the end of the month sometimes, and you have more month than you have money. There were times when I was there at the gas station, I would put in my card, and it would come back insufficient funds. And I told you I would walk away from the gas pump, and I would act as if it was broke because I didn't want people to know I was having money problems. There were times when we would have to eat peanut butter when I was a child because we didn't have a lot of money. Like I said, it was due to economic restraints. There's a few people here this morning know what it's like to have your brook being dried up. It's not about having, not having enough money. You can have a pocket full of money. Your 401k can be triple digits, but you can still be riding on empty. Riding on empty is the feeling where you feel as if you're out of control. But I've learned something from Elijah that everybody, every now and again, needs a brook drying experience. The first reason why you need a brook drying experience is that it develops dependence upon God. It develops dependence upon God. Verse 1 of our scripture reading says, Elijah, the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead, says to Ahab, as the Lord lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. 
Before these words, we never hear from Elijah. We don't know where he comes from. He steps on the scene, goes into the palace and says to a wicked king, it's not going to rain except at my word. At the beginning of his ministry, he realizes that he is talented. He is anointed and called by God, but he does not realize that God does not need him. But he will not learn this until his brook dries up. In chapter 18, he'll be on Mount Carmel. In, chapter, in chapters um, after this, he'll be taken into heaven. At the end of chapter 17, he will raise someone from the dead. But he won't realize that until his brook dries up. You see, riding on empty teaches you dependence. His ministry begins with him performing a miracle, going to the king and telling the king it's not going to rain. You see, if everything came easy to you, where would God be in your life? But if God can trust you with fried bologna eaten on a floor with candles as your light, then he can trust you when he makes your land more. Many years ago, um, I, I was in college. I was 21 years old. And um, I graduated from high school with a lot of promise. Um, I graduated. Um, I was given many scholarships. I, I, I lost count on award night. I, I was given scholarships I didn't even apply for. And, and, I, and I was given a scholarship and I was admitted to a, a university there in New York. And after three years, I failed out of school. I failed out of school and my GPA was a 1.77. Um, my last year of college, uh, last semester, I got all Fs. You have to work hard to get all Fs. I dropped out of school, kicked out of school, um, whatever you want to call it. And I had to go back home. And I told people, I told my friends I was transferring schools because I was embarrassed that I got all of these scholarships, but I, I, I failed out of school. This was before social media back in um, 2000. And I went back home. I didn't even tell my family that I, I, I failed out of college. Um, I came, I, I told my, my foster mother, I, I said, um, I failed out of college. And she said, baby, come back home. Um, but she said, you're going to have to get a job. She said, you can go to the community college. Failed out of, the com out of the community college, too. The only job I could get was vacuuming carpets cleaning bathrooms and mopping floors. I told nobody what I was doing. I learned how to ride on empty at a very young age. I'm going to church. They said, Joey, what are you doing? I said, oh, I'm, I didn't say, I didn't say what I was doing. I said, I'm in school and I'm working. That, that's all I said. I didn't want nobody to know. I was vacuuming carpets. I hate vacuuming to this day, mind you. Vacuuming carpets, cleaning bathrooms, and mopping floors, making $5.50 an hour. But in that season of my life, I learned that if God can trust me with small things, then there's going to come a day when he can trust me with greater things. The Bible says in Psalm 34, 19, that many are the afflictions of the righteous, but, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. I believe it was necessary for Elijah to go to Cherith because he can only be filled with God's spirit when he's finally empty of himself. The only way God can take him to the top of Mount Carmel 
is for him to learn how to ride on the bottom. God needed Elijah to learn how to ride on empty. You see, the mountaintop experience is in chapter 18. But before you get to chapter 18, you have to go through chapter 17. In other words, until you have a brook drying experience, you cannot appreciate the mountaintop experience. The mountaintops in your life are not as enjoyable until you learn how to ride on empty. You see, now that God has done some things in my life, I can appreciate them now. Because I knew where I was just 14 years ago. Now, you know, you gave the introduction, all the degrees and stuff. I'm not one of those people that have to prove to you how smart I am. Because I know that the only reason I have a degree is because there was only one school that would admit me when my grades was 1.77. I'll never look down on somebody who, who has a job, who graduated from high school, who's not doing as well as me. Because if it wasn't for the grace of God... I would still be the smartest person vacuuming carpets, mopping floors, and cleaning bathrooms. Verse 7 says, and it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Your brook drying experience is not permanent. It says it came to pass. Many seasons of your life that you think are eternal, God intends to be temporary. Many people cannot be blessed and used by God because they think that where they're at is permanent. He gives you a brook to help you get on your feet. He'll bless you, then he'll drain you dry. The brook drying was a blessing. God says you're going to go to the brook. You're going to be there for, for, for a long period of time. I'm going to send ravens to feed you with water and meat night and day. But it's going to dry up. God knew that if he would continue to supply Elijah with water and meat, Elijah would stay at the brook when God intended his stay to be temporary. So many people are satisfied with brooks when God has a Mount Carmel in the next chapter. So many people are satisfied with being fed by ravens two times a day. But God has more in store for you. Sometimes God has to dry your brook because if he doesn't, you will never end up where you need for you to be. Your brook drying experience is not about you. It's about what God wants to do through you. When, when the prophet's brook dries up, God is training him for ministry so he can learn dependence upon God. I don't know about you, but, but a person in leadership isn't good until they've had a brook drying experience. What good is a preacher if they don't know what it's like to suffer? Sometimes you have to thank God for the brook drying experience. I, I'm not like that all the time. I don't thank God for my brook drying experiences, but I know that he's shaping me and molding me for something greater in my life. It doesn't feel right, but when it's all said and done, I'm going to go through the fire, but I'm going to come out as gold. The brook drying experience for Elijah is preparation for what is to come. In other words, the brook drying experience is a stepping stone for what God has in store for you. It wasn't until he became empty that God was able to bless him. 
the setback in his life was a preparation for what God wanted to do for him and through him. There is a famine in the land, but God sees a Jordan dividing. We only see Ahab and Jezebel and the drought, but God sees Elijah being taken up to heaven. God is preparing Elijah for what's to come, but Elijah cannot see it. Every direction that God gives Elijah is a blessing, but the blessing is preparation for what's to come. Verse three says, God tells him to get thee hence and turn thee eastward and hide thyself at the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. Notice that the Bible says the brook that is a temporary place is before Jordan. Why Jordan? You see, for the people of Israel, Jordan has a special significance. In the book of Psalms, David called the river Jordan, the river of God in Psalm 65, verse nine. You remember how it wasn't until the Israelites crossed the Jordan that they were able to take their promised land. So whenever an Israelite heard the word Jordan, that was a symbol of what God can do and what God has done. The Jordan was the blessing. In other words, God says your brook is right before Jordan. What God is telling Elijah is this, that your rough spot in your life is before the blessing that's in your life. The burdens that you're going to experience are before the blessings that I have intended for you. So that means if the devil is tempting you with something, that is an indication that God wants to bless you and that he's going to use you. But he cannot take you to Jordan until you go through Cherith. Too often the person who has the mountaintop experience. We see them on the mountain, but we don't know the path it took them to get there. God has a different plan and a different path for every person. But sometimes we see the person on the mountaintop, but we don't know the path it took them to get there. Um, I, I know you all like the San Francisco 49ers, uh, but... Um, a, a couple of years ago, the Pittsburgh Steelers were, were, was in the Super Bowl. Um, they're in the Super Bowl. They usually would go every other year. And, and they were down um, by, by one possession. And Ben Roethlisberger was marching down the field. Fourth quarter, going down. And if they didn't score, they were going to lose. Marching down the field, two-minute warning, um, Ben Roethlisberger standing there in the pocket, going out the pocket, completing passes. And at the end of, and at the, end of the fourth quarter, he, they, they snap the ball. The pocket collapses. He goes to his right, as he often would do. And he throws the pass to Santonio Holmes. And Santonio Holmes catches the ball. And his, the, 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 uh, his tippy toes are on the edge of the touchdown of the end zone. And he catches the pass, drags his feet, and falls out of bounds. Everybody has flat screen TVs. Everybody's watching on their tablets, watching on their phones. People are sitting on the couch, and all of a sudden, they become referees. The referee goes under the hood to review the play. Everybody's looking at his feet. 
Half of America said it's no good. The other half said it was good. Of course, it was good. But what people didn't realize is that the past that he caught took hours of preparation in order for him to do it. It wasn't that he was thinking on how to do it. He had done that drill with Ben Roethlisberger thousands and thousands and thousands of times. But what we saw was the mountaintop experience. But what we did not see was the preparation that he needed in order to get there. You see, you look at me and you see a a dry clean suit and you you see a tie clip and and you see a handkerchief. But what you don't realize is that I failed Greek three times. It took me nine years to get my first bachelor's degree. People look at me and, and they hear the introduction, but they don't realize all of the pain and heartache it took for me to get to where I am now. When you see someone. On the mountain, when you see someone being blessed, you just see the highlight reel of their life. But you need to understand that there's a path that God has taken them on where they can get where they are now. You see, when you see someone, you're seeing a snippet of their life and it might not even be a highlight reel. It might be a season in their life that has to be deleted and edited, but you cannot judge a person for where they are because you don't know the path that God has taken them on. Elijah has to go through the brook in order for him to get to the mountaintop, but God takes him to Cherith to teach him how to ride on empty. So what do you do when you're riding on empty? There's five things you need to understand when you're riding on empty. The first thing you need to do is remember. Let the church say remember. Remember that God is going to sustain you. God is going to sustain you. In verse 9, God's, the brook dries up. God says, I have a widow for you. I've been feeding you um, two meals twice a day. Um, But I have something better for you. I'm going to provide for you. Simple logic. If he did it once, he'll do it again. But Elijah had enough sense to know that if God is feeding me with ravens, if God can give me water and bread and meat. Yes, it was meat for 365 days a year. Then he can carry me in any situation. Remember that God is the one who called you. God is the one who anointed you. God is the one who equipped you. Don't worry about what you don't have. Don't worry about where you're not yet. Remember that if God has called you to do something, he will carry you through it. Where you are in your life is no accident. You're here by God's divine appointment. Just because your brook has dried up, it does not mean that you don't belong where you are. It just means that God has something greater for you. Your brook drying up is not the end. It's just a beginning. When I fell out of college, I went back home, went back to the same twin mattress. The same twin mattress that I tried to escape, went back. Got the job, going to community college. Um, Then I got a job at the YMCA. 
And I was coming up on the end of the summer. And, and my foster mother said, um, Joseph, in her sweet voice, she said, you're going to have to do something. You can't do this for another year. You're 22 years old. You need to make a move. I said, I've been applying um, to all these colleges. I applied to Andrews. They was the first school to reject me. Applied to AUC and CUC and PUC and SUC, all, all of this UCs. They all rejected me. The only school that would accept me was Oakwood. Um, but I didn't have any money to go to Oakwood. It was two weeks, two and a half weeks into the semester. The fall semester already started. I was a youth minister at this point. I came back to God, started preaching. And um, my pastor made me stand up right here. And he prophesied in front of the church. And he said, in a couple of weeks, Pastor Joe is going to be in Huntsville, Alabama. Little did he know that I owed $2,000 at the previous school and no school would accept me without transcripts. But little did I know that there was somebody who did not even know me was interceding on my behalf in the admissions department. So when they called me, it was a Tuesday afternoon. They called me. I'm walking down the street, dejected and just depressed. 22 years old. Um, I said, Lord, I'm, I've been out of college for, for, for nine months. I didn't fell out of a university and a community college. I said, Lord, I, I, can't, I can't keep going like this. I'm walking down the street. My brother's on the phone. He said, Joe Oakwood's on the phone. I said, I don't know no girl named Oakwood. I don't have no friends named Oakwood. Who is Oakwood? And I'm running. I run down the street. I take the phone. And they said, is this Joseph Williams? I said, yes. They said, do you still want to go to Oakwood? I said, who is this? They said, this is Tanya Bowman from the admissions department at Oakwood College. I said, yeah, I want to go to college. And she said, can you be here by Friday? I said, I said, I don't know. I said, I will be there. I'm in New York. It's for it's a 14 hour drive, 27 hours on the bus. I said, I, and it's Tuesday and I got to be there by Friday, the last day to add classes. I said, I don't know how I'm going to get there. But no matter what I have to do, I'm going to get there. I get off the phone. I call my pastor. I said, Oakwood has said I could come. He said, don't worry. We, we, we got it. I said, I don't have any money. I spent all my money. He said, don't worry. We got you. He said, start packing now. I said, I don't have any money. Don't worry about it. I called my boss and quit my job right there. And he said, where are you going? I said, I'm, I'm going to Alabama. And he said, um, are you sure? I said, I, I've been telling you all summer I might have to leave early. Um, and he said, how are you going to get there? I said, I don't know. He said, you ever been there before? I said, no. I said, but I know I'm quitting my job because God has opened the door. And if I don't go through it now, I might not, it might not happen. One of the elders from my church walks up to my porch. He has a bus ticket and a hundred dollars and a duffel bag and says, tomorrow you're getting on a bus to go to a place you've never seen. I got on the bus and I went to Oakwood. I got enrolled. Um, I got a room and all that. I need to tell you something. When the time for graduation came and the next chapter in my life was supposed to begin. Do you think I was doubting God again? Yes, I was. 
What I needed to do was remember what God had did for me just five years before. If you're doubting in your life, just remember if God helped you when you failed out of college, if God helped you when you had no job, if God helped you when every school said you couldn't come, if God opened up one door and you tried to shut it, then he opened up another door and you tried to shut that. If God kept you in the dark seasons of your life, what do you think he'll do when your brook dries up? Ellen White says, we have nothing to fear for the future. Lest we forget what God has done in the past. The next thing you do when your brook dries up is rejoice. Um, Rejoice in the fact that you had a brook. Rejoice in the fact that you're drinking water and eating meat for a year. People are starving but you're eating people are thirsty because of you. You brought the drought, but you're drinking water. Some people need to thank God that you had a brook, not have a brook. There's some people live their entire lives and never have the opportunities that you have. Appreciate the value of the brook experience. Thank God that you made it to the brook. Thank God, Joe, that you have a car to have a gas tank that's empty. Some people are walking. Thank God that you have $5.72 in your account. That you have a job. That payday is coming. Thank God that you have a bank account that has insufficient funds. Thank God for what you have. The next thing you need when you have a brook drying experience is to receive. Receive the blessings that God has for you. Receive the blessings that God has for you. Some people, not you, but people, you know, some people are so holy, not you, but people, you know, they would have died in Cherith. Um, some of y'all, well, people, you know, not not y'all, um, you wouldn't have taken anything from the raven because the raven is unclean. Some of you are vegetarian and vegan. I'm not mad at you. Um, you would not have taken the meat that God provided through an unclean vessel. Some people won't receive the blessings of God because they want the blessings of God to come in the perfect package. But as my foster mother used to say, you cannot kiss a gift horse in the mouth. I don't understand what it means, but I know that whatever, however a blessing comes to me, I want to receive it. I don't have to understand it or even know where it comes from. I just need open hands to receive it. When I got to Oakwood, um, I told God I'll be a literature evangelist. I sell books. I go wherever you want me to go. And um, I went through many cities in America selling books, selling cookbooks, children's books, um, Ellen White books. And, you know, we would go to businesses, we go to churches. um, But sometimes we would go to the poor neighborhoods. um, We would go to the bars. 
um, will go to places um, where, where people say God's not there. Um, but we had tuition to pay and we, we, we went to some drug houses and we took money from homeless people. We gave them steps to Christ. We signed them up for Bible studies. Some people we met on the street corner. They joined the church, signed up for Bible studies, came to evangelistic meetings. I've been to bars and, and, to, and to crack houses selling books to drug dealers. I didn't care where the money came from. I wanted a great controversy and a desire of ages in your house. I wasn't going to kiss a gift horse in the mouth. I don't know what it means. I just know that you don't judge the vehicle that God wants to use to bless you. Some people don't have a raven, but God has been sending ravens to you twice a day when other people are in drought. Rejoice that you had a brook to begin with. Another thing you need to do when you when your brook is drying up and you're riding on empty, um, you need to remain. Let the church say remain. That means to wait on the Lord. That means obey God one step at a time. Or as one of my favorite psychologists would say, don't look at the meadow, look at the blade of grass. David says in the Psalms, I was young and now I'm old. And he says, I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor their children begging for bread. God did not let Elijah know what step two was until he did step one. God only showed him the next step that he was to take at any given time. Because if God would have shown Elijah all of the places he wanted him to go. Hear me, Elijah would have never gone. If God would have told me all of the places I was going to go, I would have never quit my job and got on that bus and went to Oakwood. I was fine if God would have told me it's going to take you another five years to get a bachelor's degree. I would have said, Lord, I will go to the University of Buffalo. I can be a youth pastor right here. I'll go be a college professor like I've been planning. I had 75 credits. I had a 1.77, but I still was a junior, y'all. I was fine right there. But God says you're a human being. You don't know the future. The only way for you to experience reality is for you to get out of the bed to get away from your brook and to put one foot in front of the other. If God would have told Elijah all of the places that he was going to go and all of the people he was going to see and all of the miracles and the H-E-L-L he was going to experience, he would have stayed right there and died at the brook. He would have said going to the king is too dangerous. He would have said... God, I don't want to be near ravens. Hear me. He would have tried to conserve water. But God is never late. He's always on time. When the brook dried up, God is giving him enough time to catch the widow before she eats her last meal. If you wait on him, he will lead you and guide you. In the step you need to take at any given time. 
Isaiah 40, verse 31 says, they that wait on the Lord, he will renew their strength. And it's interesting. He says they will mount up as wings of eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. When you wait on God and remember what he's done for you and rejoice that the little bit of blessings that you do have, other people's would kill to have. The blessings that you take for granted, other people are wishing and hoping they was in your place. The last thing you need to do is rely upon God. Rely upon God for your next direction. God never closes one door without opening another door. He never does it. When the time came for me to graduate with my bachelor's degree, I'm proud of that degree. Because I'll confess to you, don't tell nobody. My last semester there. I took two classes One class I didn't even go to, I forgot that I had registered for it. And the other class I wasn't even supposed to be in. The time came, it's two days before graduation. I had taken, I had clepped a test, American literature, and I I had prepared for this test. And all of the questions that were on the test, none of it was what, what I studied. I read the entire anthology of American literature from the Revolutionary War up until the present time. Thoreau, Robert Frost, all of them. None of it was on the test. God gave I I got the score. Um, I had claimed Jeremiah 33, 3, where God says, call upon me and I will show you great and mighty things, things you don't know. So God was giving me answers that I didn't know for a test that I prepared for, and I got a grade. And the grade was not sufficient for me to pass. And I took that grade to the dean of the English department. I says, here's what I got. And he says, Joe, you're a senior. I don't like you, senior, especially you preachers, because many people will wait until the last minute and then come to the deans asking for mercy. But they passed me. But the grade that I I, I, one credit for a class I didn't even take the chair of the theology department gave me a B minus for a class I did not take. So when the time came for me to graduate, I said, God, this degree began by grace and it ended by grace. Whatever you have for me next, I'm going to rely upon your direction. I had a job in Tucson to be a youth pastor, and I said, Lord, I will commute to Phoenix to go to Fuller to do a master's degree in theology. God said, "Okay, no, you're not doing that. Close that door. I did not want to go to Andrews. I said, God, I cannot do another three years of this. I barely pass this. God said, Joe. God don't call you pastor chaplain said, Joe. When you had nothing, when you were nothing, I provided for you and opened a door for you. Do you think I'm going to bring you here after nine years just to leave you? God had been providing for Elijah and gives him direction, saying that you're going to go to a widow. 
and you're going to perform a miracle for her. And she in return is going to perform a miracle for you. Notice at the end of chapter 17, God divides the widow's oil. But he doesn't fill it to the top. He just made what she had last. You see, that's what writing on empty is about. The miracle of writing on empty is when you make God first, he will make it last. Whatever little bit you have, when you give it to him, he will multiply it and divide it and he will make it last. First Peter five, verse seven says it best. Cast all of your anxiety and cares upon him because he cares for you. When you rely upon God for his direction, he will give you your next step. God told Elijah to go to the brook. God told Elijah to go to the widow. God tells Elijah everywhere he needs to go when he needs to go there. God doesn't give him this big GPS map and say, you're going to go here and you're going to go there. God says, you're going to come to this destination. But the only way you're going to get directions is if you rely upon me. The children of Israel When they were in the wilderness place, God had given them a a pillar of fire at night and a cloud by day. And they only moved when the cloud moved. And if they didn't move with the cloud, they was just remaining in darkness. If they tried to stay where God was, they wouldn't be where God wanted them to be. You see, when God asks you to do something he's particular about it we have this belief that god will give us any kind of brook god i don't want to go to the brook cherith i want to go um, to another brook i I don't want to go in drought i want to conserve the water i want to go to costco i want to go to walmart lord um give me air conditioning i I don't want to go to the brook but god knows what's better for me than i do God, I know some brooks better than Cherith, but God says, if God says Cherith, then you go to Cherith. And if you're not at Cherith, the birds aren't going to meet you at the brook that you're going to. God says, if I send you somewhere, I have ravens on route to meet you where I'm sending you. And the birds are only going where I'm commanding them to go. There was no better place for Elijah to be than where God had prepared him to be and for the place that God had prepared for him. Elijah was riding on empty. He didn't even realize it from the beginning of his ministry to the very end. When you're riding on empty and you don't know what to do, when you're confused about your God's direction for your life, remember where God brought you from. Rejoice in the little bits you have. Rejoice in the insufficient funds. Rejoice that you have two debit cards with a small balance. Rejoice in the used car that you don't like driving. Receive whatever blessings God has for you in whatever vehicle he has to deliver you. Rely upon him for direction and remain 
where he has you until he gives you a further assignment. Recently, there were tornadoes in the Midwest. Tornadoes and storms were going through Arkansas, going through Mississippi, going through Tennessee, Kentucky, ravaging the place. Tornadoes going through in the daytime, y'all. And one particular story arrested my attention. A tornado was headed towards a daycare. Children in a poor neighborhood. Tornado going to the daycare too quick to evacuate. Kids didn't even know what to do. The eye of the tornado was headed to a daycare. Kids were helpless. Tornado leveled the daycare. Leveled many zip codes. FEMA, American Red Cross, came in to do rescue, relief, and recovery. And as the firefighters and policemen and and rescue workers and emergency personnel descended upon this daycare, they knew they were going to find living and the dead. Walking up to the daycare, bracing themselves for what they're going to find. But they found this baby, this toddler crying. And the toddler, they didn't know how long the toddler had been crying. And they picked the toddler up, dust the toddler off, and checked the vitals. And maybe, maybe the, the toddler was dehydrated, put some fluids into the toddler, whisked toddler off to the children's hospital there in Little Rock, Arkansas. What arrested my attention wasn't was that the baby was crying, wasn't that the baby made it, what arrested my attention was that the baby was crying in the arms of a dead daycare worker. This daycare worker was crouched over, guarding the toddler from the storm. She didn't make it. But the toddler made it. The toddler was crying. The toddler was scarred and bruised. But the toddler lived. I imagine when the toddler gets older and the toddler faces seasons and decisions when they don't know what to do or they don't know where to go, they're going to tell that toddler what happened when they were two years old. How a storm came through and you lived because somebody else died. And hear me, you lived and you didn't even know you were alive, but you made it because somebody else died. So don't ever forget what you've been through. Don't ever forget what you've been saved from. And if you can go through a tornado and make it, In the hands of someone who've died. 
What is there in your life that you can't face? I don't know about you, but when I was two years old, I had my own tornado. My mother was beaten by another woman, and she was put on life support for two weeks. August 31st, 1981, she died from brain damage. Another woman beat her up because of some stuff that was going on. And I was two years old, put me in a foster home, wasn't conscious. They said I was in squalor. I was adopted and taken in by two women. And one night, they brought me in to the living room. I was about seven years old. And they told me the story of my life. And they said, Joe, nobody wanted you. Nobody wanted any of your siblings. But we took you in. We saw this crying little boy with ringworms and chicken pox in squalor that nobody wanted. Took me in, cleaned me off, got me some adequate health care, put me in a safe place. And I was able to at least be safe for my formative years because somebody saw me in a storm. And they had the decency and compassion to reach down and take me into their home. I don't know about you, but when I look back on my life, there's been some difficulties and there's been some rough roads. But it wasn't them who saved me. There was an angel by my side that was walking with me when other people died. I don't know about you, but God says, I was there when you were born. I was there when you opened your eyes. If you're like me, I was in the NICU. I was born premature. God says, I put an angel in the NICU every day Watching over you when the devil tried to take you out. There was an angel there when you tried to walk. I was there when you stumbled on your first day of school. I was there. I've been with you every day, every hour, every moment of your life. So what brooks are there in your life that you doubt that I can't lead you through? There's somebody here this morning. You want to say chaplain? There's some things in my life I want to trust God with. And I want to trust him with the difficult things. I want to trust him with the dark things. If that's you, I invite you to stand. And I'm going to pray a special prayer just for you. You want to trust God with the brooks in your life. You want to trust God with the droughts in your life. Bow your heads with me. Father in heaven. We look at Elijah and we say, Lord, that's a miracle. Um, We don't see no ravens coming to us. Uh, We don't see supernatural things. We wake up every day and we go about our our life. But, Lord, we've been alive every day, every minute, every second. And you've been sustaining us. When there are unseen forces trying to take us out. Lord, we thank you for your protection. We thank you for your provision. And Lord, we ask that when we have spiritual amnesia and we forget. 
all of the places that you've brought us through. We ask that you'll send people and even send angels to remind us that if you did it for us yesterday, you'll do it for us today. If you need God to strengthen you by your brook, just respond by saying amen. God bless you. God bless you.